All right, Colossians chapter number one be our starting place this morning. Colossians chapter one. We have been flying through this book for several weeks now. We're all the way up to verse number 10. Colossians chapter one and verse number 10. The people being addressed in this letter have put their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse number four that resulted in them falling in love with all the saints in verse number 4, and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in their lives, verse number 6, and news of this church and, and the great work God is doing there has spread through all the world according to verse number 6. The ninth verse says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that's where we were on Thursday evening, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We sang about faith being the victory that overcomes the world. There is a, a faith that is uh, momentary, when you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will save your soul and give you everlasting life. And that, that act of faith, God will honor and, and grant you a home in heaven. Thank the Lord for it. But then we're called upon in these letters that are written to Christians and recorded for us, kept for us in the New Testament. Uh, we are called upon, encouraged to continue to live by faith in the God we trusted to save our souls and take us to heaven when we die, in order that our lives might be, and, and get this as a real shocker, that our lives might be better than they would be if we didn't live by faith in God. Now, the Bible says in the book of Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we say faith in God, we don't mean faith in who we imagine God to be. And, and faith in who the multitude of our associates uh, tell us is the right way to live. Uh, God's given us His Word, His truth in the Bible, and we, we seek to live by the truth that God has written in the Bible, trusting that if God loved us enough to die for us and save our souls, then surely He doesn't want to mess up our lives. Well, He wants to bless our lives and make them better. And... The, the, the struggle, we sing about faith as a victory that overcomes the world. I have, no, I have had no reason this week, in fact, I've had no reason since the new year began to overcome Joe Biden. No, nothing he has done has affected my spiritual life whatsoever. I have no reason this year to have any need for spiritual strength to overcome Ron DeSantis. Nothing he has done has had any effect whatsoever upon my spiritual life. What, what I have to overcome on a continual basis is the desire of my flesh to deceive me into thinking I can find pleasure apart from the will of God. And that my life will be a pleasant life and a pleasing life to God, to myself, to others, if I live contrary to the teachings of the Lord, rather than live in accord with the teachings of the Lord. The prayer of the apostle uh, 
to, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to God the Father on behalf of people who are saved is, I pray that you would walk, learn to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And the deception in, in my life and the deception in your life is not going to come from some great false religion or, or, or for some, from strange new uh, movement that's sweeping the earth. Very, very few people be taken in uh, by, by the latest uh, you know, uh, fad uh, uh, theory. Uh, but the, the, the real danger is that I, I buy into the idea that if I seek to please myself, my life will go better than if I seek to please the Lord. And that is, that is the real battle that every one of us fight every single day. All these other things are distractions. Because government issues and geopolitical issues and, and the arguments of science falsely so-called and all these things are trying to draw you into a battle you can't fight and can't win so that you're not devoting yourself to the battle that you can fight and you can win. And the battle in my life is to, to allow God to convince me that I'll be better off doing what He asked me to do than I will be doing something else. That's, that's, that's just the, that's the struggle every one of us face every single day of our lives. And so the Bible says here that, that His prayer, we do not cease to pray for you, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Everything I do, God, God wants me to do it for His pleasure. And here's, here's, here's what I have to believe by faith, that that will ultimately result in my own pleasure. That it will be pleasant for me if I please God, and will ultimately be unpleasant for me if I seek to please me, unless I could get to the place where what pleases me is pleasing God. And then the conflict and strife inside my heart and mind and my life is over. Matthew chapter 3, let's, let's look first of all at the one we are to follow, the one in whose footsteps we are to walk, and that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number uh, 13, Jesus is being uh, baptized uh, Matthew 3.13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Now, before I get to the verse, I, I, I want you to notice something. If anyone ever could have said, I don't have to keep those commandments. It wouldn't have been me. It wouldn't have been you. It would have been the one who gave the commandments. And Jesus Christ not only is, is going to set for us an example of pleasing His Father, but He's going to set for us an example of why would anyone make an excuse and say, I'm too good to do that, I'm too spiritual to do that, I'm too far down the road to do that. When Jesus Christ came and John the Baptist said, come on, you're... You're the Lord of glory. You don't have to do this. And Jesus said, if, if it is the right thing to do, then I absolutely want to do this. He didn't argue his way out of doing. Uh, can you imagine 
the Creator. We, we believe Jesus Christ, God, manifests flesh. That's, that's what the Bible says He was. God manifests in the flesh, lets another human being put his hand over his mouth, pinch his nose shut, and plunge him into the water. I mean, that's, that's baptism. Okay, I, if I get baptized, when I was baptized, a sinful man put his hand over my mouth, you just hush, <laughs> and plunged me into the water and brought me up with the strength of his arm. I have no objection to that. A sinner baptizing a sinner in obedience to the Word of God. But Jesus Christ submitting himself to that act of, of humiliation when he didn't have to? There's your example. Christians all the time say, well, I don't have to do that. Why, why do you view God's instructions as something you don't have to do? When will God help us trust him enough to view them as something we get to do? Shouldn't be an ob objectionable thing. Well, why is God asking me to do something? I don't know. Who am I? He says in verse number 16, keep reading here, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father took pleasure in God the Son because God the Son took pleasure in obeying God the Father. It pleased the Father that the Son desired to please the Father. That's pretty simple. And yet it's profound. John chapter 8. John chapter number 8. What sets Jesus Christ apart from every other person ever walked the face of the earth is the verse you're about to read. John chapter 8 and verse number 29. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. How about that? People say, I'm a Christian. You mean following Christ? I'm a Christian. You mean like Christ? I, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, there's Jesus. He said, every single time I do what pleases the Father. In every single circumstance, I do what pleases the Father. I, I, I understand what we mean when we say I'm a Christian, but if we meant what the Bible means by the term Christian, we wouldn't be so careless about throwing that term around. I understand what we mean when we say I'm a follower of Jesus, but, but if he's going this way and I'm going that way, I, I might have trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I, I'm not so much in on that following thing. And as we, as we considered Thursday night, people struggle over the details. And biblically, if we would struggle over the principle, the details would take care of themselves. We would be much less confused about what pleases the Father if we just desired to please the Father. 
If we just wanted in our heart to do what God wanted us to do, what God wanted us to do would be much clearer than it is when each time he tries to get us to do something we don't want to do, we object as though our way is somehow better. It's a lack of faith, it's a lack of trust, and God, God delivers from it. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, moving uh, more quickly than we have been up to this point, I've got to get going here. Hebrews chapter number 11, Hebrews chapter 11, who is this God of whom we speak? Hebrews 11 verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So all things, visible and invisible, were created by this God. Okay? That's, what, that's what we believe. Now, now a lot of people in the world don't believe that. We believe that. We believe in God. God we believe in creation. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is reward of them that diligently seek Him. Now, First of all, here I am, one tiny human being occupying one square foot of earth. And, and there is the creator of all the worlds who created them, sustains them, holds them together by the word of his power. Why would I trust me? And not trust him. What, what is it inside me that is so capable of self-deception that I would ever offer an argument against anything he has to say? Look who he is. Look who I am. I should be thankful that he tells me what to believe. I should be thankful that he tells me how to live. Why am I contending with God? And the answer is found in that sixth verse. I have to believe it will be rewarding to trust him. And that it will not be rewarding if I don't trust him. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to talk down to anyone this morning. It really is that simple. God says, thou shalt, why don't I? I just don't think it'll work out for the best if I do that. Really? God says, thou shalt not. Well, I don't see anything wrong with it. So, so me standing here says, I don't see anything wrong with it. And God, looking over everything, past, present, and future, says, I see something wrong with it. Why am I trusting me and not trusting him? So the Lord says that, that my unwillingness to do what pleases God is simply a lack of faith and trust on, in my part, somehow believing that I know better than he does. You wouldn't think any preacher would have to talk any Christian out of that position. But all oh, that old flesh is powerful, isn't it? 1 John chapter 3, look there, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, we live in a day when one church after another is abandoning the very idea that God might have commanded anything of anyone, so that people who don't like God 
commanding anything of them will be able to go to church and pretend that they're following a God whom they've dismissed. Amen to that. 1 John 3, verse 22, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Ooh, I like that. Put that on the overhead screen and let's sing it 300 times in a row. But we could finish the verse. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Again, somehow, this, this little, I, I, I'll come over here so you can see. Look how little space I take up on this planet. Travel to a shopping mall this afternoon or an airport or just drive through town and just try to take in how insignificant I am in this world. And God, God has told me, don't go there go there. Do this, and I'll be able to answer your prayers. Do that, and I won't be able to answer your prayers, because you'll be asking for something that will hurt you if I, if I grant it. I have me, me, listen, me. This great God of heaven is willing to tell me how to live so my life will be the best life it can be. And I'm contending with him? I'm wanting to argue that there's some better way or that this rule is somehow unreasonable. Oh, how self-deceived we are. That God would give us commandments. How can you view that as a negative? God, not a dummy. God, not somebody that's out to get you. The all-wise, almighty God who loved you enough to shed his blood to save your soul from your sins wants to tell you how to live so it'll be better than it would be if you told yourself how to live. It just, it just seems so reasonable. Not to view his commandments as controlling threats to our liberty and independence. How's that worked out for you? but as a wonderful guide through a life that can be very confusing and very dangerous. Thank you, Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse number 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, begging, pleading, with all the earnestness he can muster, we, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, command to, to say with force and, and fervor that as you've received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For ye know, what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Now, <laughs> here's what happened at Thessalonica. They heard the gospel. They believed it. God saved their souls rejoicing. 
Then they tried to do some things God commanded. It worked out well for them. Rejoicing. And the the Holy Spirit says, he has Paul write to them and say, now keep doing that. Do it more and more and more. Now here's, here's what I don't understand about me. Maybe about you. If, you, if they trusted Christ as Savior and it was wonderful and they obeyed some of his commands and it was wonderful, why is he having to beg them to keep obeying God's commands? Why is he having to exhort them to keep following Jesus Christ? Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we the problem? It, it's amazing. Well, the government, the government isn't keeping me from obeying God's commandments. Well, the world, the devil, the the principalities and powers, they don't bother me. I'm I'm not that big a threat to them. Look, this, this this is all I got in the world right here. This is it. Oh, the devil's after me. Not likely. If you occupied that big a place, maybe, but but this, come on, look where you're sitting. You think they think that's a big deal of the devil? You know, what my, you know what my problem is? I got saved and God filled my heart with joy. I joined a church and filled my heart with joy. I started witnessing and it filled my heart with joy. I started reading the Bible and it filled my heart with joy. And then somewhere alone they had flesh it. That's far enough. That's far enough. You don't have to obey that. Uh, there's a lot of people that are saved and they don't obey that. You don't have to do that. Most churches don't do that. Well, you you don't have to obey that commandment. I know some preachers and they don't obey that commandment. And then the joy goes out of my life and I think Congress did it. (laughs) No, I did that to myself. Because I'm going along fine believing that, wow, look how good my life is obeying God. And the Holy Spirit said, well, then keep doing it. But I got a bunch of uh, Christian friends saying, well, you don't have to do that. You can be unhappy like I am. You can be miserable and discontented like I am. Why would I trade this joy for the, the unhappiness of others and nobody's going to take that from me? I'm going to surrender it myself. Or no one can take that from me. I'm not giving it up. I'm going to trust God and obey God. Now, now it's in the context. So I'm, I'm going to read it because God wrote this Bible 2,000 years ago before the internet. And I'm, I'm going to say something here. You're not, you're not going to like this, but, but I, I need to say these things. Somebody needs to say these things. In late 1960s, there was a big, early 70s, late 60s, big meeting called Southwide Fellowship. Thousands and thousands of Christians and pastors and preachers came. It was a big, 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 big deal. And they brought in uh, evangelist Lester Roloff to speak at that meeting. And I've, I've heard it. I've listened to it over and over. Lester Roloff said to those men, he said, boys, you better do what you can now because as soon as every home has a television, we're finished. That's what he said. Why? Because instead of 
the preacher in the pulpit holding influence over church members, Hollywood and New York would soon begin to hold influence over church members. Their thinking would not be shaped by the Bible, it would be shaped by the world. Now, now fast forward, there's a guy named me, and I said, as soon as Al Gore brought that internet out, you are going to see perversion, listen, perversion, abomination, rebellion, on a scale unimaginable, and here we are. Because now every sin that's ever been committed in the history of the world is glorified, put in a little snippet with music in the background for people 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 years old to look at in their home and on their phone. And you got 14 and 15 year old boys and girls today that are more reprobate than hardened criminals were a generation ago. And they think they're unhappy because the government doesn't give them enough money. And they think they're unhappy because they don't have the right kind of housing. And they think they're unhappy because they eat their own kind of food. And they think they're unhappy because they can't afford. No, they're unhappy because their lives are completely out of line with the Word of God. And it's a mess. It's a mess. Somebody, somebody today comes to church, hears the gospel, gets saved at 25 years old, their heart, oftentimes their heart and mind has been so defiled by the things they've seen on that internet that it's 10, 15 years before you can get anywhere with them as far as a, a Christian life. Used to be, man, a guy got saved 25 years old. He was already a hard-working man, dedicated man, hadn't been sleeping around dr and drugging around and perving around. Lost people had more character 50 years ago than most saved people do today. That's, that's just, I'm just telling you. So I'm going to show you something. He's doing pretty good till he got on that stuff. Somebody's got to say these things. Amen. I got one square foot of earth. I'm going to use it. <laughs> Furthermore then, look at verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of Cupid, con concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond to fraud his brother in any matter. Okay, so listen, God, God gave me this illustration in the Bible. I didn't get it last night in, in a dream or writing down the card and pop it in my head. This is what God said in the Bible. In Thessalonica, these people worshiped pagan gods and knew nothing about Christianity. And Jesus saved them and gave them eternal life. And then their pastor taught them from the Bible that a man marries a woman and a woman marries a man and only then do they become intimately related one with another. And the people at Thessalonica bought into that because Jesus saved my soul. He's, he's the Lord from heaven who died for my sins. I'm going to trust him. Amen. 
And so the unmarried people got married and, and quit fooling around with each other and the young people cleaned up their act and, and, and then the Holy Spirit has to say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Something's slipping over there in that church. You got young people fooling around and you're making excuses for it. You got married people being unfaithful and you're making excuses for it. The Thessaloniki culture is having a greater influence on you than God. Now here's the problem. Today, we live in a generation today where you got all kinds of men who aren't actually physically, in reality, messing around with another woman. It's a pretend imaginary woman on a screen. And every pastor in America is dealing with some man, a saved man with a saved wife, and he says he's saved and believes the Bible, and he's in a sewer of pornography. And he thinks he's unhappy because of his wife, and he thinks he's unhappy because of the church, and he thinks he's unhappy because... No, he's unhappy because there's no pleasure in disobeying God. You young people, you you better understand... God loves you. He knows better than you. And if he said, don't be fooling around before you get married, it's for your good. And you that are married, if he said, don't be fooling around beyond the bounds of your marriage, you got to believe it's for your good. And you guys looking at that garbage on your computer because you don't have to drive to a store and face a clerk and buy a magazine. Now you can just pull it up on your screen. God is trying to keep you from bringing misery into your life. That's the Lord's illustration. So why are you going to preach on that? Well, what's what's a greater problem in our country today than that? I don't know one. Well, we're going to ban cigarettes. I don't know anybody busting up their marriage smoking cigarettes. Well, you know, we've got to save the environment. The environment isn't ruining your home. Well, you know, global warming. I was, <laughs> it's amazing. If the temperature rises two degrees... Worldwide, in 2070, I don't care. (laughs) If the ocean rises, guess what gets flooded? Miami, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston, New Orleans, New York City. I'm trying to wait till I get to when it becomes a problem. You got people worried about the environment and they're perverts. I'm never coming back there. That's all right. You heard it once and you won't forget it. You'll be in a nursing home. Some guy come along and say, you want to come to church service? I don't know. Is there going to be a preacher there? Yeah, no, no. (laughs) Heard a preacher 45 years ago and never got over it. Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. Take a look. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 4.
Now there's this thing called the gospel. Anybody ever heard the gospel? Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Everybody needs to be saved, believe in the gospel. Bible says, verse number one, for yourselves, brethren, know our interest in unto you that was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before, were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. It's Sunday morning and I'm smiling. You know, Paul said, they beat us, they whipped us, they humiliated us, they treated us shamefully, they threw us in a prison, and we didn't quit. And when you listen to people tell you why they quit, and you consider what people who love God and love souls went through and didn't quit... It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I, you know, I, it, it, if I was going to quit church because somebody said something I didn't like or, or did something I didn't approve of, I think I'd do like a lot of people and just make up a great big giant lie about why I quit church because I'd be embarrassed to say I quit serving God over what I quit serving God over when, when these men went through what they went through to get the gospel to lost people. Amen. I'm sorry, I, I, I was supposed to smile when I said that. How about if I do this? <laughs> All right. Verse number three, or two. Even, even after we were shamefully treated, end of the verse, uh, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Now people throw the, this verse around and misuse it. Well, you know, we're not supposed to please men, we're supposed to please God. Okay, uh, you want to put that back in context? Here's the context. If it displeases you that I'm telling lost people about Jesus, too bad I'm going to keep telling lost people about Jesus. And if it makes you so angry that you beat me with a rod like you did the Apostle Paul, God helping me, I'm going to keep telling men about Jesus. And if it so displeases you that you put me in a prison, I hope I'll sing loud enough for an inmate to get saved like Paul did. And again, let's let's try to get back on track. Well, I would go witnessing but it makes me nervous. That's not supposed to be the consideration. I, I would go witnessing, but I tried that once and somebody made fun of me. That's not the consideration. Does it please God? And if it pleases God, will it ultimately result in my life being more pleasurable than it would have been if I didn't obey God? You see where we are here? We want God to make our lives pleasant, and God wants to make our lives pleasant. We just can't come to an agreement on how that happens. We say, God, if you'll do everything I want you to do, my life will be pleasant. And God said, I'll tell you what, if you do everything I want you to do, your life will be pleasant. And we've just got to decide who's smarter. Who knows best? If it's God then I ought to just do what he says. If it's me, then I ought to just do what I say and ignore what God said. I would, if, I, I would, I would strongly advise you to let God call the shots. That, that, would, that would be my, my 
earnest plea to you. Okay, two places here to, to uh, finish up here this morning. Hebrews 13 and Romans chapter 15. And we'll look at the Hebrews passage first. Hebrews 13 and then over to Romans chapter number 15. Hebrews 13, verse number 20. Now the God of peace. Wouldn't you like to have peace in your heart? Peace in your home. Peace of mind. You say, what about peace on earth? No, we, we can't go that far. Jesus will have to come back to do that. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Well, that, that, that's pretty, pretty powerful. That great shepherd of the sheep. That's pretty trustworthy. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that's, that's some kind of love right there. Some of you say I got this right. He's the God of peace. He, he, he raises the dead. He shepherds the sheep. He saves souls everlastingly by His blood. Seems like somebody I could trust. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so here it is. I'm not saved. I hear the gospel. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen new life. I've never seen regeneration but without seeing, I believe what God said, and I trust Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? He takes me out of darkness into light. My eyes are open. I said, wow, why did I wait so long? This is better than the guy witnessing to me said it was. This is better than the songs I heard said it was. This is, this is, what, this is amazing. Why didn't I do this sooner? And then, and then uh, the preacher says, uh, well, we're going to have church this evening. I'll be there. We're, we're going we're to give to missions. I'll be there. We're going to go out and tell people about you. I'll be there. Why? Because I don't know how it's going to turn out. But if God did that for me, I'm all in. And then, I think it's about four months after I got saved, I hit this realization. The preacher's preaching on witnessing and there's a hundred people hear the sermon, and when we come to go witnessing, there's two of us. The preacher's preaching on, on loving your brother and loving your sister, and there's a hundred people there, and 40 of them got somebody they're, they're mad at that they don't speak to. And I, I'm, just, I'm just naive and, and 19 and, and have a haughty spirit. And I started asking people, how, how, come, how come you two don't, don't like each other? Well, you know, there's... And they started telling me about all the reasons why Christians are, are no good. And then I started asking people why they weren't coming to the, to the midweek service. And they started telling me all the reasons why you don't have to go to midweek service. And who was president? Uh, Ford. Gerald Ford never told me to stop being enthusiastic about Christianity. The people I went to church with did. And then Jimmy Carter got in. And, and 
And Jimmy never tried to talk me out of knocking on doors. The people I went to church with did. You understand what I'm saying? I have to trust God more than I trust you or myself. I have to believe my life will be better if I keep doing what pleases the Lord instead of falling in line with people who aren't doing what pleases the Lord and who are very, very unhappy, but who tell me that the problem in my life is I'm too biblical and too fanatical and I don't have a problem in my life. you got a problem in your life. So I got saved and we started giving out tracts and preaching on the street and, and studying the Bible and bringing people to church and, and the pastor asked us to cool it. And we didn't cool it. And we had meetings, they brought us in before the deacons and said, you're bringing the wrong kind of people to church. They're lost people, they need Jesus and, and all sort of things like that. And so finally they asked a lady, uh, Netta Applegate was her name, you've heard me tell this, but she's just a, a dear, uh, aged, Christian, godly woman, and, and they asked her if she would speak to me about my zealousness. And so we're in the little drive-through, they call it a portache now, I don't just so there'd be one more word in my life I can't spell. And, and we were standing out there after church on a Sunday night, and she came up and she said, uh, James, the deacons asked me to talk to you. Is it okay if I talk to you? And I said, I guess it's okay. And she said, they're, they're really concerned that you're, you're overzealous and, and that you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're going too far with this whole uh, uh, Jesus thing. This is, a, this is church, you know, conservative fundamental church. And I said, yes, ma'am, they, they've told me that. And she said, can I, can I talk to you about that? I said, sure, you can. She, she put her arms around me. She drew me up as close as she could get. She put her mouth right by my ear, and she said, you just keep it up. You just keep it up. You just keep it up. Don't let anybody stop you. Praise the Lord. Thank God for that, lady. My life is better trusting God than trusting people who won't trust God. Your life will be better obeying the Lord than obeying people who don't want you to obey the Lord. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Verse number 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as that is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And then people pull this verse out of context, in the context. For what sort of things written aforetime were written for our learning? That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, what a verse. That fourth verse, you know what it's about? You read, Christ didn't please himself, he pleased others. Look how that ended up. And then the Lord said, have you read the scriptures? How did that end up? 
You say, well, they crucified him. That's where you stopped? You left out the resurrection? You left out the ascension? You left out the seat at the Father's right hand in heaven? You, you, you left out the praise and the worship and the honor? and the, You left that out? You know what he said? There will be some difficulty along the way if you seek to please others more than pleasing yourself because God has asked you to please others more than pleasing yourself. But if you will consult the record, you will find that in the long run, it always pays off for the better to live to please God and live to please others and not to live to please yourself. You'll have a better marriage, you'll have better friendships, you'll have a better church life, you'll have a better walk with God, you'll have a better reward in the judgment seat of Christ. And so, my, my battle this morning, every hour of my life, the Bible's true, I'm pretty sure, your battle every hour of your life is with me. So yeah, my, my battle's with you too. No, no, no I, didn't, I didn't mean it that way. My battle's with me, your battle's with you. As my flesh and your flesh says, well, you can't trust God. You can't obey that commandment. You can't, you can't do it the way God asked you to do it. Tell the preacher you got a special exemption. Tell the preacher you got an excuse. You're going to end up unhappy. Because... Following Jesus is the path to pleasantness and following self is the path to unpleasantness and God help us to trust him enough to believe that. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you would care enough to speak in our direction. Thank you that you would be interested enough in our lives to try and make them pleasant. Help us, Lord, to trust you with each decision that we make as we trusted you to save our souls on that wonderful day in which we were born again. Help us, please, to believe your Bible is the best guide for life. In Christ's name we ask, and amen.